Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Morris. My guest this week is Nick Byrne. Nick, thanks for being on. It's great to be on here. Is it recording this time? Yes, we are recording this time. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, okay, so you were a mountain guide at Beyond Malibu. First off, what is Beyond Malibu? And second off, what exactly does being a mountain guide entail? So Beyond Malibu is, uh, is an adventure camp uh, that's affiliated with Young Life, and it's based out of British Columbia. Uh, it's about, I don't know, 70 miles northwest of Vancouver. So it's in a beautiful place uh, in this little inlet called the Princess Louisa Inlet, where um, your base camp is on the water, and then you're spending a week hiking around in the mountains that, that surround that area. So all your views are, are water down below, trees, and then snow-capped mountains. It's a, it's a really beautiful place. Um, and to provide a little bit more context, Young Life is a, an international ministry that focuses on um, kind of ministering to, to youth, so middle school, high school, college-age kids. Um, and Young Life is, is one of their camps that they hold in the summer. Um, where they take kids on on week long backpacking trips, uh, so that's what that's what Beyond Malibu is. Uh, they have two different arms of, of adventure trips. Uh, one is sea kayaking, which I was not involved with, um, and then the other is mountain mountain mountaineering trips, uh, and those consist of um, five nights, six days spent backpacking and very remote wilderness you start at sea level and then you typically hike up to over 6500 square feet or i'm sorry 6500 uh, feet of elevation and uh you spend a couple of nights well yeah i spend five nights sleeping in a tent you carry everything you need um for that week on your back and a big old backpack usually weighs about 50 pounds and uh it's pretty typical to have trips from anywhere of seven to, to 12 people. Um, so you're carrying your, your tent, your sleeping bag, all of the food for a week, uh, all of the gear that you would need to get around in the mountains. So ice axes, sometimes crampons, ropes, uh, kind of rescue gear for, for rock climbing and, and being on a glacier. Um, yeah, so that's that's beyond Malibu. That's what being a, a mountain guide is. Excellent, excellent, awesome. So, okay, you said that the uh, the mission of the organization Young Life is to um, invest in, develop, mentor youth, junior high, <laughs> middle school, college kids. What specific things do you do on a day to day basis when you're with these groups to accomplish that mission? Um, so the program is kind of built on the, the thesis, um, that I think has proven true that the outdoors is this gauntlet for, um, forcing people out of their comfort zone. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard of, um, kind of the the circles of comfort, but it's this idea of three concentric circles where the inner circle is, uh, someone's comfort zone. The outer circle is a, a danger zone or chaos or stress, but somewhere in between those two is a circle 
where we call you know the learning zone or the growth circle and that's where really positive change can be affected in someone's life and so our goal is to put um, our participants in a setting where um, they will be challenged and forced to rely on their faith on their leaders typically these leaders have been um, investing in in kids for at least two to three sometimes more years Um, and then also in a place where they rely more on themselves and are able to, to grow in their confidence um, of themselves and their, their strengths. And also sometimes, you know, it draws out their weaknesses and that's a really great place for um, that to be revealed. So on a weekly basis, um, we're doing a lot of hiking. Like I said, we're trips are usually about 6,000 feet of elevation um, anywhere from 15 to 30 miles, uh, and you're carrying a 50 pound pack the entire time. And it's, it's not like hiking in a national park. It's where there's a, you know, a really nice trail with signs everywhere. It's, it's typically hiking through wet, uh, dense rainforest for the first two days and, uh, you're bushwhacking. And then once you get above that, um, you're hiking in snow, camping on, snow sometimes um you're exposed to the elements uh and so we we think that that environment is you know while it can be dangerous is is usually really safe um especially you know equipped with the skills that we have um we think it puts kids in a place where they will be challenged and and able to grow Uh, and then kind of interspersed with all of the hiking and rock climbing and uh, things that we do as part of mountaineering. We are having small group discussions. Um, sometimes we kit send kids out for one night on their own to, you know, sleep within a reasonable distance of the main camp, but to kind of just have some self-reflection and introversion. Um, and uh, as guides, we're facilitating all of that. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, you were a consultant, uh, for a major consulting firm for three years. You're currently in commercial real estate. You've got a really corporate background. How do we take some of this stuff and apply it to the business setting? Uh, you know, like, I mean, I guess there are companies who take their employees out into the wilderness on lavish camping trips in order to grow them and, and grow them, uh, grow the team. But like, what are some what are some ways that maybe we can do that without having to hike through British Columbia? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, thanks for calling me a corporate sellout. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of funny story. So when I was uh, when I had finished doing two years of mountain guiding, I had one more semester of college left. And I was interviewing for consulting firms, and uh, I had no internship experience. I, I had, you know, basically no business experience, and my degree was in engineering. I was basically the least qualified person for this job that was highly competitive. And when I went into the interview, uh, every question they asked me, I answered with some experience about being a mountain guide, um, and. I, you know, I thought that was a really great strategy, but I also had no, no business acumen to lean on. Uh, 
And when I got through the first round of interviews, I, I went to this happy hour afterwards and introduced myself. And the first person I introduced myself to is like, oh, yeah, you're the mountain guide. And, and so I think that it was an experience that, uh, one, was really tangible um, and applicable to the corporate environment after I look, took a good hard look at it. But it also had this cool factor that, that people... Uh, I think we're attracted to. Uh, so to answer your question, how how are things transferable? Uh, I think flexibility and being adaptable to difficult situations uh, is something that is really, really useful. Um, I mean, every single week we're, we're mountain guiding. It was a group of six to 12 people I had never met before from a different part of the country. I mean, I had kids from Naples, Florida, uh, kids from New Jersey, California, uh, Missouri, all over. And on a weekly basis, your job is to one, get them through the mountains safely, but two, um, get to know them and lead them so that they uh, have a really positive, growing, challenging experience. And so, I think just that process alone of having to adapt to different people, having to adapt to whatever whatever weather gets thrown at you, um, if someone gets hurt, having to deal with all those things um, helps you to realize you can really you can get through anything you're on yourself, and you can also lead through any sort of situation. Um, another thing I think is was really transferable was just having a positive attitude i mean there was so many times on our trips where it was raining or it rained and then it snowed and everyone is is freezing cold um and you've got to motivate everyone to pack up the camp or hike another thousand feet um and so just learning how to encourage people to sometimes you know, joke your way through something um, is a really, a really helpful thing because there are times in uh, in corporate America where you've got deadlines or client expectations that seem unrealistic, and uh, being able to rally people to to get through a deadline is a super valuable thing. Uh, and then, honestly, the the most important thing I learned, and maybe this is just me. Uh, my personality, but curiosity is super important. Wanting to be interested in people and topics and take the initiative to learn about them. I think that is uh, an invaluable skill in, in any environment. Okay. A couple of follow-up questions here. One is, you know, so you're talking about the three circles of, you know, uh-huh. comfort, growth, and then kind of chaos disorder. Uh, Jordan Peterson, I'm sure you're familiar with him. He kind of says a similar thing where there's this demarcation between chaos and order. And we are our happiest, most successful, most healthy selves or healthiest selves when we're straddling the line between the two. Uh, we've got one foot in chaos. And we're trying to make order out of it. And then we've got our other foot in order. And it's kind of like our anchor and our security. How do we create that in a corporate environment? How do we put employees in a position where they are constantly growing, feeling like they're challenged and therefore engaged? Mm. I, this is leading right into something else I wanted to, to 
share with you. So uh, in our training, um, we learned about this matrix uh, framework, whatever you want to call it, uh, called the challenge support matrix. Um, and you can think of it as on, on the X axis is challenge and, you know, close to on the left is uh, low challenge and on the right is high challenge. And then on your Y axis is support um, at the bottom is low and at the top is high. And so you, you create this four quadrants um, where you have low challenge, low support, and that would be called you know, like inertia or apathy. And then uh, another quadrant would be high challenge, low support. That's stress. That leads to burnout. Uh, you also have a quadrant with low challenge and high support. That's called the cozy club where you get comfortable and um, you're not really making any progress, but you're being encouraged for it. Um, but really the sweet spot is high challenge and high support. Um in, in there is an environment where you're being pushed, you're being challenged, but you know that you have a backstop behind you. And um, I think something that I've been reading up on is, is how Silicon Valley is this um, environment where failure is actually encouraged because uh, in failure, you learn how to not make the same mistakes again and hopefully succeed. Um, and so I think in a corporate environment, like knowing, you know, setting deadlines or, or uh, goals for yourself that maybe seem a little bit unrealistic, but knowing that you have a team or a boss behind you uh, that is going to push you and support you to do those things, potentially even stick their neck out for you, um, that is where growth happens. Um, so I, I would say that like there are probably lots of ways to to be in an environment. I can't remember what your original question was, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, to, to provide a, an environment for growth, but having high challenge and high support, I think, is a, a very simple way to achieve that. Yeah. I love um, the idea that, that failure is a good thing. I read, um, I forget the guy's name, but the founder of Pixar wrote a book just about uh-huh. their whole culture and how they do their thing. And failure is just integral. They uh, are really, really passionate about people taking chances, failing in a big way, learning from that, moving forward. I actually heard about a study a while back. Um, they were able to have people take this test and then you know do like an MRI or a PET scan uh, to see like which parts of their brain were activated and stuff. And when they put them in an environment where they were being evaluated or they had something to lose, uh, the part of their brain that's responsible for creativity entirely shut down. Like it just, it just turns off. Um, and so I, I thought that that was kind of interesting. Another question I want to ask you, Nick is, so you guys are, are taking these kids out in the wilderness and they're growing individually. Do you see them grow together as a unit? Any, Absolutely. And I think that's probably the most fun part of, of doing this is, um, I mean, you think about it, you, you do this trip where nobody has their phones. Um, the only entertainment you have is the people immediately with you. Um, and you, you end up spending six days with them and you're, you know, 
you're carrying Joe Schmo's lunch and Joe Schmo is carrying the rope that's going to get you across uh, the crevasse. And, um, you know, people open up so much on these trips. Um, People who are shy at the very beginning uh, come out to be the funny ones. You know, kids who who didn't aren't super athletic um, turn out to be incredible hikers. Um, and you know, the the linebacker who is crushes it in football is struggling because he doesn't have the the anaerobic capacity to get up this. And it, it's it's no sh- no shame to them, but like you you have to rely on each other. And so, oftentimes, ships would come back. And, you know, they smell terrible. They've got, they've got mud all over their face and whatnot, but they're chanting the whole way back. And um, you create this little microcosm of community that then, um, that then goes home. And I think uh, what's really hard a lot of times is um, these trips are a mountaintop experience. And um, kids then go home to where they have their distractions you know, whether it's their phone or their school or their their sports teams, and that community isn't as strong because everyone's doing their own thing. Um, but like, yeah, I've never seen team teamwork and uh, community building like I have on on those backpacking trips. Well, so I hate to ask you this question again, but it just feels so pertinent. Um, I mean, how do we, how do we transfer that to the corporate world? How do we get teams to build mm-hmm. and come together like that in an office in downtown Seattle? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's just to, to boil down what beyond is in a, in a week or in a short answer is like it, a lot of times it is going after the objective of the summit, um, and I think in a corporate environment, creating shared um, objectives is really powerful. Um, getting people to, to rally around some cause, um, whether that's financial or, you know, I think all, nowadays people are really rallying around work-life balance, um, but some sort of common cause that, that everybody can get behind and understand how they contribute to that common goal uh, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, so that leads me to the next question I want to ask you is, you know, you're out there motivating these kids uh, in pretty harsh environments, you know, to do some crazy things, some, honestly, some pretty scary things. How do you do it? How do you motivate them? Um, yeah. I I would say I, I read or I did uh, the Gallup Strength Finder a couple years ago. Um, actually, I went back to Beyond to kind of be the the leader of guides for a summer. And before that summer, I did Strength Finder and kind of understood what my strengths were. Um, but in reading the evaluation and reading a little bit of the book, um, they really emphasize the value of um, encouraging people's strengths and leading from your strengths. Uh, so I think on, on a trip, identif- being able to get to know people, identify what their strengths are, 
whether that's their physical strength and being able to carry a heavy load or their ability to be the funny guy and lighten the mood. Um, identifying those things in each individual person and encouraging them to lean into those strengths. Um, because when everybody's, you know, doing their best, they're contributing to the group's best and, you know, different people have, have different strengths, but that's the beauty of being in a a team or community is where you fall short. I can bring up, um, your shortcoming. And, uh, so I think a lot of times what that looked like was who, who is the, the person that can carry the most weight and taking them aside and, and, you know, encouraging them to, uh, ask for more weight or talk to somebody who's maybe struggling and ask if they can take that weight from them. And, um, because when you're struggling, like you, you know it and you don't want to admit it, but if someone comes up to you and says that they're going to take 10 pounds off your back, you're not going to say no. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a myriad of situations in which that happens uh, on a trip, but yeah, I would, I would really say, that encouraging people to operate from their strengths uh, is a great way to do that. Yeah. Okay, I want to ask you a couple more questions. One yeah. of them is I want to talk about authentic versus appointed leadership. Uh, you know, a lot of people in companies, uh, I think about Lieutenant, I think it was Lieutenant Doyle and Band of Brothers, you know, the guy that took over the company after Dick Winters got promoted just because like, he kind of knew somebody. And I mean, there are a lot of people like that in the corporate world who just kind of know somebody and end up in a position of authority or leadership and they didn't necessarily do anything to merit being there. Um, how, do we, how do we be authentic leaders? How do we lead as a product of our character and our competence and who we are as opposed to the rank that's been assigned to our name? Mm-hmm. Well, something that I uh, learned from being being the the guide team leader, the leader of all of the the guides was that empathy trumps competency. Um, when I stepped into that role, because I was in a leadership position, I instantly had respect from all of the people that were underneath me that, you know, they knew I had done beyond say, you know, we told stories about trips that we had done. So I didn't have to earn their respect. I did have to earn their trust. And I think empathy is the fastest and the most effective way um, to build that. And maybe not even the fact, the fastest because trust takes time. Um, when I stepped into that role, I before we even got there for the summer, I called up every single one of the guides and got to know them, um, understood what they were leaving behind to go into a summer of guiding trips. And then on a weekly basis, we'd meet with them to talk about what was going on in their heads, you know, how they were feeling, how past trips had gone, what could I do to support them in the future? Um, and by the end, I think that I, you know, they trusted me to advocate for them to look out for their best interest. Um, but to your example of Band of Brothers, like the guy who replaces Dick Winters after he after he leaves is, you know, he doesn't last very long. And it's because uh, his his men didn't trust him. And I think they respected him at first when he came in because 
he had that leadership position. He had rank over them, but very quickly proved to be an ineffective leader. And uh, he didn't invest in him in his in his subordinates at all. He, you know, was not interested in getting to know them um, or helping them succeed. So much of leadership is just taking care of the people around you. Yeah, and I, I think demonstrating to them that you that you care about them and you you know sometimes that means putting their interests above your own and i think that's the burden of leadership right the burden of leadership let's write that book nick <laughs> just like those uh, rap albums we said we we're gonna write <laughs> all right hey so uh last question i have for you mm-hmm. who's your best friend you, man. You're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. Thank you, Nick, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. This was fun.